you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 in just a moment. The title of the message is, God Doesn't Believe an Atheist. Have you ever met somebody that claims to be an atheist? Don't, don't raise your hand. If you are one, <laughs> don't raise your hand. Ravi Zachariah says, to sustain the belief that there is no God, atheism has to demonstrate infinite knowledge which is tantamount to saying, I have infinite knowledge that there is no being in existence with infinite knowledge. Abraham Lincoln said, perhaps a little more practically, he said, you know, I can understand how somebody could look down at the earth and not know there's a God. But how can you look up at the sky and not know that there's a God? That great theologian, Henny Youngman, that I thought about becoming an atheist, but I gave up that idea when I found out they have no holidays. <laughs> well, the truth is they do have a holiday. It's April 1st. Because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. We'll give the atheist April 1st, April Fool's Day. There is a God. And you can know him. Paul starts this letter to the Romans, and, and we found out last week that Paul was writing to a group of people that largely... He had not met them yet, but he desperately desired to meet them. And so he's writing to a group of Christians in Rome, in this area where they were outnumbered. It wasn't popular to be a Christian in Rome. We believe that these believers had come to faith in Christ at the day of Pentecost, when it says the disciples preached. And if you look at all the nations that those people were from, one of the nations mentioned was Rome. And these people left Jerusalem, went back home, to Rome and began spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And people were coming to faith in Christ. And so Paul begins us in, in the first chapter. We're going to be in the first chapter again today. But I want you to see, if, if you've got your Bibles open, look over at Romans 3.23 because basically these first three chapters are pointing towards this verse. And it kind of culminates in Romans 3.23 when Paul finally says, And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In a nutshell, that's really what he's saying in these first two and a half chapters is to get to that point. Well, now let's back up and see how he makes his case. Let me read this passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible, incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurities so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Now, just reading that passage, you may be sitting here thinking, I wanted a Mother's Day message. That sounds depressing. Well, there's actually good news. And the best part of the news is you can know God. Paul begins by simply saying the wrath of God, this determined, violent passion of God is revealed from heaven. You hear the word wrath and you're thinking, you know, again, this is, can't we just hear something nice about our moms today? Well, wrath is, is an issue that is dealt with throughout Scripture. In fact, as I was studying this past week, one of, the, one of the commentators that I was reading pointed out that years ago, the hymns in the hymn book had to do not only with the love of God, but also with the wrath of God. Because to focus only on one part of his character and ignore the other is not to get the total picture of God. Now, songs these days, you don't hear a whole lot of songs about wrath of God. And yet it's very much part of his character. It's very much part of his nature. But here's what you've got to know about the wrath of God. It's not like you and I flying off the handle. This isn't God just getting mad one day and expressing anger that is unreasonable. The wrath of God, as I said, is predetermined. God's explained, here's what, here's what I'm expecting you to do. And God at times pours forth wrath. Now, Revelation tells us at the end of the age, there's wrath that's been stored up that will finally be poured out once and for all upon mankind. Here's the good news for believers. The Bible tells us we're not destined for that wrath. We have been provided with a way of escape. Through Jesus Christ, we don't experience that fullness of God's wrath. Now, we live in a world that's still living under the curse of sin, and we have to put up with some of what God's already poured out as wrath. Some of the demonstrations of wrath throughout Scripture is Noah. Back in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, Noah was the only one that God saw as being righteous. And so God said, you know what, I almost I regret creating man. And yet he's going to save Noah and his wife and Noah's three sons and their wives and the animals through the ark. God poured out his wrath at the Tower of Babel when man basically said, hey, we're going we're gonna to achieve God-like status. We're going to reach God from heaven. Instead of worshiping God, they were really worshiping themselves and their own ability to create things. They thought, we're going to reach into the heavens. Look at what we can do. And God confuses their language, and they're not able to complete their task. Sodom and Gomorrah is another time when God pours out his wrath on sinful man. Jesus, on a couple of times in the New Testament, we see Jesus enter the temple and he pours out wrath because they turned the house of God into a place of money changers. And he chases them out of there, turns over their tables. So that, those are just a few examples of instances in Scripture where the wrath of God is poured out. But understand, this is not God flying off the handle. This is a holy and righteous God saying, enough. You will not continue to flaunt the laws of God. And it's been revealed from heaven. Here's what I want you to see about this, because you're going to see the lid put back on in a minute. But being revealed is if God has taken the lid off of something and said, I'm revealing my wrath. In a minute, you'll see how the lid gets put back on. But here's what it's revealed against. It's not revealed against godliness. It's not revealed against believers. It's revealed against ungodliness. It's revealed against those who have a lack of reverence for God. It's revealed against those that could look at everything that God's created and all the goodness of God and say, I will not, I refuse to honor God. 
and it leads to something. It leads to unrighteousness. These two words are closely connected, but it begins with ungodliness. It says, I refuse to have reverence for God, but it leads ultimately to unrighteousness, which is where you have not a right standing with God, and it, it, it turns into behavior. So ungodliness is not believing in God, not reverencing Him. That ultimately leads to worshiping yourself and worshiping the things of this world and behavior that is unrighteousness, unrighteous. You can't act righteously if you're not rightly related to God. And here's what they do then. Because of this unrighteousness, it says that these people suppress the truth. The word here is they're putting the lid back on something. They're taking the truth of God and trying to hold it underfoot. They're trying to suppress that and kind of keep the lid on that. And the reason they do that is they don't like the truth of God. They would rather cling to their sin. And instead of allowing the truth of God to be revealed, they want to suppress it. Understand something. They're not getting away with anything. I think at times we as believers think, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And why does it seem that the people that are bad are getting away with something? There's an illustration of a farmer that had his farm right across the street from the church. And he loved to wait until Sunday morning to plow that particular part of his field because he knew it would disturb the church. And the people in the church were, you know, the noise kind of bothered their worship and all that, but they really didn't do anything about it. Finally, one day, the guy wrote a letter to the editor. said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And yet I want to tell you something. My farm, I plow on Sundays right across the street from the church, and yet I have the best yield of my crops of anybody in this county. And the editor wrote back a note and said, that may be so, but you need to know something about God. He doesn't settle all his accounts in October. So for those people who live ungodly lives, they're not getting away with anything. And for those of us that are living godly lives, don't be jealous of people and thinking, well, it seems like they're getting away with it. And yet I'm living a life that honors God. God doesn't settle his accounts in October. Let's look then at the proof that God has provided. The proof that God has provided. It says that everything or what can be known about God has been made evident. God's made it evident so that they're without excuse. You, you can't say, well, I just... I didn't see it. I wasn't able to see that. But it says that God has revealed it. God has made known what can be known about him has been made evidence, evident to them. For since the creation of the world, so since time began, since what God has created, and since the time of Adam and Eve, God has been displaying himself. The reason the atheist tries so hard to disprove God is because they don't like what they see. Since creation, literally the original formation, three things. First of all, his invisible attributes. It's the opposite of the word that we'd use to gaze at something. Invisible attributes. They're, they're the attributes of God that are invisible because you can't see God, but they've been made visible by looking at the world around you and recognizing this couldn't have been put here any other way. And yet man has, described, has tried diligently over hundreds of years to explain away everything that you see. His eternal power, literally his enduring force or miraculous power, is on display. Folks, how else can you explain what you see in nature? How else can you explain stuff like you? Now, this isn't a lesson on creationism. I, I wish I had time to unpack all that. I just want to say, go and do some research. The reason a lot of people in the church are buying the lie of the enemy 
that is kind of trying to dispute intelligent design is because the people in the church haven't done the research. We've just believed what we've heard all these years. It says His eternal power, His divine nature, literally His divinity, its own display. Just look and try to explain away things like even internal organs in your body. How did they get there? How do these things work? Well, you know, some scientists say that we're just by random chance, spontaneous chance, that somehow kind of out of this ooze, you know, man kind of developed out of single-cell organisms. It just kept expanding. And the, and the way they get away with it, or the way they think they get away with it is this. They, they realize you can't go back 100 years and prove this. You can't go back 1,000 years. So they do this little hocus-pocus thing. Millions and millions of years ago. <laughs> and so people kind of buy that. Well, here's a thought I had this week even thinking about and studying this. It, it would be one thing if, like, one guy could kind of, you know, come out of the ooze. But here's the good news. Apparently for them, not only did it happen randomly that a guy, but while he was still alive, a female also appeared. Randomly, by chance. How lucky was that? <laughs> that, that the human race was able to be developed then out of these two accidents. How crazy is that? And yet God has told us what can be seen has been clearly seen and it's been understood. You know, I used to feel sorry for people. I thought, well, maybe they just hadn't, maybe they just can't get it. No, the Bible says, no, they do understand it. They have just intentionally decided to suppress what can be known. And yet Paul goes on to say, for all of their wisdom, for all of their human ingenuity and all their wisdom, they are without excuse that's that's tough news to think that somebody will face god one day and try to come up with excuses but but god i didn't go to church or god i never heard the name jesus god i didn't this or i didn't that the bible says no wait a minute you've been given enough light to respond to god one of the most powerful illustrations of this is a young lady named helen keller helen keller was born without the ability to see, without the ability to hear, and was unable to speak. As a young girl, another lady came into her life, Miss Ann Sullivan. And Ann Sullivan worked with her for a long time to develop the ability to communicate so that Helen Keller could begin to understand communication and begin to communicate with people and even ultimately learn to talk. One day, Ann Sullivan was trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Helen Keller. And Helen Keller finally signed back to her and said, Oh, I know God exists. I just didn't know what his name was. How amazing that somebody born blind and deaf knew there was a God. What amazes me is there's people with all of their senses that have chosen to just remain blind. There's none so blind as those who will not see. And yet they are without excuse. Jeremiah 29, 13 puts it this way. And here's the good news. God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. God is not playing hide and seek. God isn't invisible somewhere. He has displayed himself throughout creation. You can look up at the stars and marvel at what God has put into the heavens. But you don't even have to look that far. You look in the depths of the ocean 
and marvel at what's there, all the creatures that God's created and the beauty that is there. But you can also look inside the human body, just your eye. Just go study what it would take to create an eye. Folks, it can't be accidental. The chances of that are exponentially against that ever happening. It's not that somebody took a bag of parts and jumbled them up and threw them out and voila, there's a human. And yet, the atheist would say there is no such thing as God. In fact, here's their response to God. He goes on in verse 21 to say, even though they knew God, even though it was obvious there was a God, they couldn't buy it, they couldn't accept it, they couldn't believe it, and so they didn't honor God. Literally, the word is they didn't bring glory to God. They didn't render God glorious. Instead of shining the light on God and saying this can be explained in no other way than that God created it just like He said He did in Genesis. They took the light off of God and put it back on themselves and said, well, we'll explain it some other way. Why? Because we can't accept there's a God. So they don't honor God and they don't give thanks to God. They didn't express gratitude or be grateful to God. Failure to worship the true God always leads to some form of false worship. You were created to worship. And as believers, we know that we're created to worship, and so we worship God because we realize we're not Him. There is a God bigger than us and more powerful than us that has created all this, that is eternal and that we will spend eternity with in heaven. And so we worship God. But if you suppress God, you will, you will lead to other forms of worship. It says they became futile in their speculations. They'd come up with a hypothesis, and it would get shot down. So much of what has been taught in textbooks, even when I was a child, to try to disprove. I went to a public school, and you know I saw all those little drawings in the textbook of you know, how things were developed. They, they've proven that those things were hoaxes. They were put in your textbook because somebody said, I've got to believe this. I've got to come up with proof to support my belief. Probably the saddest testimony that I've read is by a professor, Dr. George Wald, who a, was a Harvard University biochemist. He won the 1967 Nobel Prize in Science. Two quotes, and I want you to listen carefully to what he said. First, one has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that spontaneous generation of living organisms is impossible. That's their code word for evolution. One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to understand or concede the spontaneous generation of living organism is impossible. Yet here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. Another quote, when it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities. Now, this is an atheistic scientist saying this. There's only two possibilities, either creation or evolution. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. If that isn't a glaring illustration of what this passage is saying, I don't know what is. They suppress the truth, even acknowledging that what they believe is impossible, they just can't believe in God, so they'd rather 
It takes more faith to believe that than it does in God. (laughs) Why? Because there's proof all around you that God exists. So they become darkened in their heart, professing to be wise. They become fools. Even the word that we use to describe human life, homo sapien, what does it mean? It means wise man. We think we know so much. And yet, in comparison to the God of the universe, we are so unwise. We are so foolish. They have become fools. And here's what happens once you dismiss God. You become dark in your heart. You say you're wise, but really you're foolish. Here's what you do. You exchange the glory of God for the image of corruptible man. Rather than worshiping God who created everything and created you, and by the way, died on the cross for you so that you could know him and experience eternity with him. Rather than that, they made an exchange. They changed from one condition to another. They made an exchange instead of worshiping the incorruptible God, and they started worshiping corruptible images that man creates. Well, here's what God says about that in Exodus chapter 20, first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What's God saying? You shouldn't have any other gods, and don't go about creating images of other gods. Now, at the very moment that God has given this word to Moses, what's happening back down the mountain? Well, they hadn't seen Moses for a little while. And so they turned their back on the true God that's led them out of Egypt, led them out of captivity, and is leading them to a promised land that they're going to inhabit. And what do they do? They create an image to worship. Got to have something. So let's create this golden calf. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and what are they doing? They're doing what came naturally. They're worshiping an image that they created. What is it about man that wants to worship something that we can fashion with our own hands? That's not God. That's just an image you created. You're basically saying, I'm God because I made this. Voltaire was actually trying to make fun of Christians, but here's what he said. I think it's true. Voltaire said, God created man in his own image, and now man has returned the favor. And they started worshiping birds and four-footed animals and creepy, crawly things. I mean, that sounds kind of like insects, and yet this word for crawling things is really more the word reptile. They started worshiping. I don't know maybe if that's what happens at the University of Florida. They worship gators. I don't know, but I don't think so. <laughs> but they have started worshiping birds. I mean, you go back and look in our past, and you'll find people with images of birds that they worshiped. And four-footed animals, the golden calf and other things, and, and little creepy crawly things. What are the consequences then of doing that? And this is a scary word, but verse 24 says, therefore. In other words, because of what man has done, 
Because man has rejected God, because man has taken this abundant display that proves God, and because they've said, I don't buy any of that, I'm going to worship something I create, God gave them over. Wow. That occurs three times in just a a short few verses, verse 24, 26, and 28. The point Paul is making is God gave them over. God has placed right before their face that there is a God. And yet they rejected God. And so God has said, okay. I remember speaking to a group of teenagers. And sometimes as a preacher, you just kind of know that messages are connected. And sometimes you can read it on people's faces. That's why people don't sit real close. And I watched a young man struggle. With, with accepting or rejecting Christ. And folks, it was all over his face. It was like God had gotten this close saying, David, come to me. Trust me as your Lord and Savior. And I will never forget his face because he rejected God on that day. And about two weeks later, I saw him. He was laid out in a casket. And I don't know if he ever came to faith in Christ based on what I knew about him from weeks earlier when I, I just watched him struggle and reject Jesus. I'm assuming that David will spend eternity separated from God. Because he said, yes, I see it. And what could be known about God was known and was understood, and yet he chose to allow his heart to be darkened. And God said, I'll give you over to that. The result of that is in the rest of this passage. As men and women have said, I'm not going to honor God. It says things like women exchange the natural function of a woman and men exchange the natural function of a man. You can read the rest of the chapter. It's not pretty. But it is those people that have rejected God. And God said, I'll take my hands off. I give them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to their bodies being dishonored. Why? Because, again, they have exchanged the truth for a lie. And they've worshipped the creature rather than the creator. They've worshipped what they can create. They worship what has been created that will die rather than worshipping the one that created it all, who lives forever. And by worshipping him, we have a relationship with him and we live forever. Men and women, I realize, for the most part, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. I'm preaching to a group of people that would say, well, that, that's not me. I don't, I don't believe any of that. Well, that's good. Because if you have received the revelation that God has placed in front of you, you have a promise from God. You're his child. And God's made that obvious to you, that you're his follower. But we live in a generation... We live in a world where sometimes as Christians we almost feel like people look at us like we're the ignorant ones, that we're the fools because we won't buy the lie. Men and women, be armed for battle. I just encourage you, study study some things about creation. Go and check out things like the Truth Project or some books by Christian scientists. And I don't mean Christian scientists as a religion. I'm talking about scientists who are Christians. And go and find out what the truth is. See, God has displayed it, but we in the church have allowed the world to define it and put a spin on it. And we've bought their lie. 
I just challenge you. You don't have to live there. Not that you have to debate every atheist that comes your way, but every now and then, especially when some of these are people you're related to, every now and then it would be great to have a book to say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but would you study this? Would you read this? Tell me what you think about it. Let's talk about it. Or have you ever thought about this? i got relatives that believe that dinosaurs existed millions and millions of years ago and that man came millions and millions of years after they were extinct. And so I ask him a question like, if that's the case, why do we find caves with drawings by men of dinosaurs? Just, just think about that. Why have we found a fossil record where there's dinosaur tracks with a man's footprint right in the middle of it? You say, well, Robert, you believe in dinosaurs? Yeah, I believe in dinosaurs. And if you want to talk more about where they are today, I'll talk about that. Not time for it today, but do some study. Don't allow the world to define the truth about creation, because God has displayed his glory throughout the heavens and even in your own body. You are wondrously made. It is incredible just to look at an atom and understand that God made that intentionally designed that way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth. God, perhaps we can't understand everything there is to know about everything, but God, you've given us enough light to know that there is a God. And God, thank you for your word that we're not in darkness. Lord, you've given us every answer. We're the most informed generation ever. And yet, God, there's still some around us who've looked at that and said, that's not enough. How sad to think that somebody we love and care for that you would give them over because they rejected you. God, I pray before it's too late that even folks that are friends and family of ours would come to know you as Lord and Savior. And that, God, you would use us as a shining example to fill in the blanks for people that are desperately needy for the truth. Thank you in Jesus' name.